This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is Friday, TGIF. Beautiful day in the New York, New Jersey area. I don't know about where you are right now. It's almost toasty. It's almost summer. Okay, it's not summer like. It's spring like. Listen, a week and a half ago, I was freezing my butt off in Minnesota, so I'll take this. I'll take 50s. 60s, whatever it is today in Jersey. It's nice. We definitely have a lot to catch up on. No, Only one episode this week. Apologies for that. MLS season is around the corner, and we will ramp up the episodes as we preview the 85 teams that the league has and, uh, you know, catch you up on everything that's gone on in the offseason. But we have U.S. men's national team to discuss. We obviously have Americans abroad to discuss. And we'll kick things off with the latest uh, soon-to-be member of the Americans Abroad Contingent. That would be Matt Turner. Friend of the show, U.S. Men's National Team goalkeeper Matt Turner is heading to Arsenal. The uh, long-rumored move is official now. Taylor Twelman was all over that. He broke it. However long ago, he kept stayed on top of it, and it has come to fruition. It's official. Matt Turner heading to Arsenal this summer. And obviously, it's huge. It's an unbelievable opportunity for him. And I know some people are like, you know, really want to go there to be a backup? It's already starting with the negativity about it, but I'll dig into that a little bit. But obviously, it's a great move for him. It's a little tough for New England, obviously. You talk about a team that's poised to make a real run at the MLS Cup title. Obviously, they set a record for most points last season. They won the Supporters' Shield. They're getting even stronger now. Although, obviously, Tejon Buchanan left. He went to Club Rouge. But still, when you talk about adding Sebastian Legette, you're reportedly about to add Josie Altador. You, you go get Omar Gonzalez to help give you some depth at center back. But now you lose Matt Turner. That's a tough one. Won't be easy replacing him, but they will have him for half a season. And I can't help but get some deja vu, some flashbacks to 19 years ago when another New Jersey native goalkeeper made the move in the middle of the season in MLS to go to England. And that was Tim Howard. And I I, I know I touched on that recently in in a previous episode, just kind of alluding to that same idea. And it's kind of funny how here we are almost two decades later. And it's happening again. Although this time around, it's not as much of a shock as at the time when Tim Howard made his move. Because not many people really saw that one coming. Obviously, Tim Howard was taking the league by storm. Dynamic, young goalkeeper. And then Manchester United scooped him up. And I will I will remind people, for those who, you know, for those of you who are a little younger, or for those of you who may have forgotten how everything played out back then, Tim Howard... When he signed for Manchester United, nobody was saying he shouldn't go. And nobody was saying, oh, he's definitely going to go start. Right. It was just you can't miss. You can't pass up that kind of opportunity. You can't. He did it. And guess what? He ended up taking the starting role in his first season. Now, obviously, in terms of long term, things didn't quite work out for him in year two. And then by year three, he was off to Everton. But that first season. He had a chance to be a full-time starter. I believe he made the Premier League team of the season that year. But great year for him. 
And the thing is, you have to take that chance. And I think that's what's where some people get caught up is in the idea of the failure part of things and the risk. But when it comes down to it, you have to take risks in your career. And, and not, there's very few things that are guaranteed. The higher up you go the, in the ladder, you just at a certain point, you, you do have to take leaps to really go after bigger goals and to reach higher levels. You just have to take that chance. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But I feel sometimes fans don't understand that, look, professional athletes are, they have a lot of confidence. They have a lot of self-belief and they have to, to get to the levels that they get to. Now think about Matt Turner. We're talking about a guy who wasn't even drafted. Now he went from not even drafted in MLS. And before that, he wasn't even a scholarship player at one point in college. He was a backup in college. He almost quit soccer in college. So to, to go from there to even getting invited to camp with, with New England and from there to eventually becoming a record-setting national team goalkeeper, he just broke the record for most shutouts in a year, 2021, nine shutouts. So he's already done things that no one could have imagined him doing, even himself. I think he'll tell you himself, he, he, like, everything now is a dream already. The national team stuff, winning a goal cup, Playing in a Gold Cup final, shutting out Mexico, playing in World Cup qualifiers. He's already living the dream. He's already done things no one would could have envisioned or imagined him doing. So if you're Matt Turner, and you've already done these kind of things, and you've already shattered expectations, including your own, you've already defied the odds going from undrafted to the best goalkeeper in MLS, starting for the men's national team. Why in the hell would he not think, you know what? I'm going to go take this chance at Arsenal. Oh, and by the way, he's going to get paid a little bit of money. I believe there'll be a slight raise in his salary. And of course, it's not all about the money. No, it's also about the opportunity to play in the best league in the world, top to bottom. And you can, we can always make these arguments about what league is really the best, not the best, what have you. And I know some Premier League fans can be annoyingly snobbish when it comes to the Premier League. But look, at the end of the day, that's where the most money is. They can go get the best players, top to bottom, best league. You make it there, you make it anywhere. And that's that's the goal for him now. Goes to Arsenal. We know Arsenal has Ramsdale. We know they have a, a number one already. But that's what competition is about. And that's what joining bigger teams is about. And I know, I know the jokes are going to come about Arsenal. Are they really a big team? I mean, they've been struggling for a good while. Money-wise, yes, they're a big team. They got money. They have money. So you have, you're Matt Turner. You have this opportunity. Your stock is higher than it's ever been with the national team success, with the MLS success. And at his age now, 28, like it's not going to get much better in terms of opportunities. And I know the initial thought, and, and even for me, listening to Matt Turner, I mean, I just talking to Matt Turner a couple months ago, I, I was at his house we, uh, with the CBS sports crew. We were doing a video uh, piece on him, uh, did an interview, pretty lengthy interview with him. And uh, he, I mean, at that time, he even said himself, like, look, he's not rushing to make a move, but it has to be the right move. He's happy where he is, but it has to be the right opportunity, especially in a World Cup year. You don't want to rush into something and get stuck on the bench. And you ask yourself, well, what changed from then to now? A few things. Number one, the opportunity here 
is it's interesting because he will now be able to finish or at least play half a season in MLS, right? That's number one. So in the summer he leaves, he goes, he joins Arsenal. You're talking August, July, August, joins Arsenal for preseason. So from August to October, October, and you're talking end of October, beginning of November, national team camp, World Cup preparation camp, World Cup squad chosen. Knock on wood, if he's healthy, he's on the team. Even if he doesn't play a lick at Arsenal in his first few months, I don't see how he goes from where he is now to not even not even in the top three, right? And you have to think Arsenal is going to get find some games for him. He's going to have the opportunity, even if, as I think most people expect, Ramsdale will stay the number one. Let's say he does stay the number one. There'll still be opportunities. There'll be cup matches. There'll be other opportunities to play. He'll get some. He should be able to get some games. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a few months: August, September, October. And then the World Cup is here. And then who knows how things are going in terms of the battle for the starting role. I mean, right now, Zach Steffen's having, having trouble staying healthy with the repeated back spasms. And by the way, he is, he's not guaranteed playing time either at Manchester City. He's playing behind Ederson, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So if you're Matt Turner and you're thinking about what the risk is there, the risk isn't really that much compared to the reward. The reward is, aside from the salary, which, let's face it, you're talking about an astronomical rise, a pay raise that he's going to see, number one. Number two, the opportunity to potentially win the job. And I know some people, especially Arsenal fans, like, oh, you're crazy. Ramsdale's the man, blah, blah, blah. Maybe someone buys Ramsdale. Maybe he gets injured. Maybe Matt Turner just stands on his head. And, the, and, and Mikel Arteta's like, whoa, this guy's just crazy. He's unbelievable. Let me, he, he's just won the job. So, but there's the only way to even have the chance to have that happen is to take the leap. And sure, Matt Turner could have just st- stood pat, enjoyed himself a nice season in, in New England, another year, on a team that, with him on it, would be the favorites to win MLS Cup. But you got to think about the opportunities and the big picture and being able to jump into the league, to the Premier League for a good team. A team with the resources to, you know, if they're lucky, can climb back into that conversation of being a top four team. So for me, it's a no-brainer. If you're Matt Turner, you take that chance. You believe in yourself considering everything that you've already accomplished, all the expectations you've already shattered. You go for it. So I think it's great. It's great for him. Uh, And it couldn't happen to to a nicer guy. And uh, we'll see what happens with New England. Obviously, they're going to, you know, their goalkeeper situation. You have a veteran there, Brad Knighton, but will Bruce Arena look elsewhere? Do they have another one lined up? Will he go the, in the on the international market? Because let's not forget, I still remember Donovan Ricketts uh, being Bruce Arena's answer in goal with the Galaxy. I remember also, I believe Jaime Pinedo, the Panamanian, was also there. I'm trying to remember now if he brought him in, but I still remember, I still remember being somewhere. Uh, some MLS Cup event one year before they signed before the Galaxy signed uh, Donovan Ricketts, and I remember going up to Bruce Arena and, and asking him, "Was like, ah, I heard you were somewhere recently looking in goalkeepers. Uh, I heard you were in Jamaica." <laughs> and Bruce Arena goes, "Oh, what Jamaica Queens?" <laughs> and I'm like trying to play coy, but Bruce Arena will find himself a goalkeeper. He's gonna find one. It's a pretty good, pretty good judge of talent. 
putting together a pretty solid team in New England, even without Matt Turner. So we'll see what Bruce Arena does there, but it won't be easy to replace Matt Turner. I can tell you that right now. Now, another Americans abroad news, uh, players are already Americans already in Europe. Uh, we have to start off talking Christian Pulisic, and he has a chance to join another uh, select list of Americans uh, to accomplish things, playing in the Club World Cup final. Chelsea is in the Club World Cup final. They face Brazilian side and South American champions Palmeiras in the final on Saturday. And Pulisic did not play in the semifinal in the, their 1-0 win over Al-Hilal, but you like to think, you know what, short rest, He's rested. He hasn't played. He, he, you'd like to think he's going to get on the field. And he has a chance to become the first American to win the Club World Cup in its current iteration, its current uh, version. But he would join Jovan Karofsky on the list of players to to have won uh, this prize uh, or to have won an, uh, a, a world title as a club with a club team. And uh, Jovan Karofsky did that. And Pulisic will have the chance, but I tell you what: as much as that, as great as it is, would be to add that medal. Bigger picture, it's obviously an important moment for Pulisic just to kind of see where he is with the team. And again, this is you know not to say this is an exhibition or this is a real measure in terms of where they're going to be when they go back to Premier League play. But you'd like if you're Christian Pulisic, and if you don't play in either of this these games, you're going to be a little worried. Now, me personally, I think he's going to play in this game. And if he plays in the game and has a chance to do something, that's obviously going to be, you're going to want to be watching that. And uh, it's a big it's a big stage. So hopefully for Pulisic, he can get on the field, he can make something happen, create another magical, memorable moment for Americans over in Europe and Americans at the highest level, just continuing to set the bar. And obviously it's been a, it's been a bit of a rough stretch for him, aside from the goal that he was able to score in, uh, against Honduras in Minnesota. But... I think he needs this. He needs this performance. If he get, if he has another DMP, if he doesn't play a minute in the final, that's going to be obviously at that point. That's going to be concerning. But I'm feeling confident that he will play in this game. We will see Saturday, I believe, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern time. Keep an eye out for that. You can check that out before you you go watch uh, Napoli Inter Milan, the battle of first versus second in Serie A. Which let's face it, it's the game of the game of the weekend. You're going to want to watch that one, and not just because I'm working on it with CBS, but. Keep an eye out for that one. Christian Pulisic, let's see if he can add a Club World Cup title to his UEFA Champions League title, his uh, <laughs> Nations League, CONCACAF Nations League title, all in a one-year span. That'd be a pretty good year in terms of silverware. So let's see if he can get that done. And in other Americans Abroad news, Gio Reyna has a chance to make his first start uh, for Dortmund since August. Uh, we'll see if he can get that done. He obviously finally came back and, and had had a chance to play. Uh, it was, a, albeit in a loss for Dortmund. And Dortmund, obviously, they're going to be looking to bounce back. And we'll see how Reyna can do it with, with a full match. We'll see if he gets a chance to start. You want to see him at his best. Obviously, in his first appearance, it was, you know, his first game in four months. So, you know, he didn't show up. He didn't show very much there. But hopefully with this next game, We'll get to see more of the OG Arena. I mean, look, what is he, still 19? So it's a little funny to say the OG Arena, but you like to think he's, you like to see him start to show those flashes of that ability that we know he has. Uh, and obviously, after so much time away, it's going to be a little difficult. It's going to take time. And that's what people need, need to understand. It's going to take time to get the rhythm back, to get the flow back, to get that level back. And, and luckily for the U.S. national team, they've got some time. There's, what, six weeks between now and, and, and the next qualifiers in March? So 
uh, and the trip to Mexico. So if you're uh, if you're Greg Berhalter, you're going to have a keen eye on every Gio Reyna game going forward because you know how important he's going to be for those qualifiers, those all-important, decisive qualifiers in March. Now, speaking of matches that uh, Greg Berhalter will be watching, uh, we'll transition over to a match he probably won't be watching. Uh, Wolfsburg versus Eintracht Frankfurt. John Brooks versus Tim Chandler in the uh, Do You Have Greg Berhalter's New Number Derby? Uh, actually, that's it's. let's face it. Both these guys aren't really getting calls from Greg Berhalter, I don't think, at this point. John Brooks, obviously, we've talked about it a few times now uh, on this show. He's kind of persona non grata now. He's out of the picture at center back for the national team. Greg Berhalter has said it's not over for him, that he has a chance, there's absolutely a chance he can get back in. Uh, dude, I don't know if I buy that at this point. I think it's, I feel like the ship has sailed or is sailing. It's sailing away from the shore. But listen, John Brooks, the only, as I've said, the only thing he can do is play well, find his best level, the level that we saw at the second half of last season in the Bundesliga when he helped Wolfsburg finish in the top four and earn the Champions League berth. He needs to get back to that level to even have a chance. And right now he's not at that level. He's he's had his ups and downs. Obviously Wolfsburg's in a, having a rough year. They're having a, the fact that they they go from last year Champions League top 4 to now in the fringes of the relegation battle. That's uh that just shows you the kind of year that they've had in Brooks. Let's face it. He has not had uh, the type of season that he had a year ago. And we 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 can acknowledge that. Now does that mean he should not be one of the top 4 center backs going into US camps? I don't know about that. I think me personally I would have called him into the into the last camp, the gen, last January camp, but obviously Greg Berhalter has locked in now with a certain group. He's looking at John Brooks as maybe a bit of a liability. And until Brooks changes his mind with some outstanding play in the Bundesliga, I think we're going to be stuck with with Brooks on the outside looking in. And I think that's pretty unfortunate. But again, the only thing he can do is find his best level to force Burhalter's hand. Because the better that he plays, once he, if and when he can start to dominate again and really start to help Wolfsburg turn things around and play at that high level, it will get that much tougher for Burhalter to justify leaving him out and putting and leave, putting in players uh, that aren't anywhere nearly as accomplished as he is. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. Obviously, Tim Chandler, a player who is even even further away from the Greg Berhalter radar, but a player who, surprisingly enough, this year has, has started to get some consistent games with Eintracht Frankfurt. And obviously, he is not someone that Berhalter's ever called in, uh, as much as Chandler has said uh, and, and told me when I asked him when I saw him in Germany a couple of years ago, he said, oh, he'd take a call, he'd gladly go back to the national team he would love to play for the national team but he's not in the picture he's not on the radar he's a bit of an older player you can start to ask questions about german americans and it feels like the german americans any excuse to get them out of the picture you get them out of the picture that's at least a theory in in when you look at things with julian green who never got a chance even when he actually was playing well enough to earn a chance he didn't get the chance now he's out of the picture he's not playing regularly with grutha firth so he's kind of it's 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 done with him at this point he's out of it but then you have a brooks Who's now been you know cast aside? Timmy Chandler has never been looked at, so it's you know is there something to that? I don't know. It seems like it, but Chandler, if he continued to play regularly for Eintracht, you'd have to ask yourself what does he have to do to get an opportunity? And I still remember, um, I believe it was actually it was before the pandemic began, and it was February before the pandemic began. What year was that? Was that twenty twenty? Man, everything's a blur. Twenty twenty. 
I want to say 2020. Yeah, it had to be 2020. And uh, I remember asking Greg Berhalter himself. We were in New York uh, at an MLS event or something. He was there. And I asked, And at that time, Timmy Chandler was on a run. He, I think he had scored like four goals in five matches, something crazy. He was on a run. And I asked him flat out, like, what's up with Timmy Chandler? Are you even looking at him? Is he on your radar? Does he have a chance? And he's like, and Berhalter was like, yeah, we're looking at him. He's, he's there. You know, we know what he's doing. So, But it was not at all the most convincing, uh, it, it, you know, wording for on his part that yeah we love the no it was like yeah, we know who he is <laughs> don't hold your breath i mean he didn't say that but I mean, it just felt like that it felt like that so it is what it is chandler you know obviously there, there was always the talk about you know how committed he is and i think that's always been a scarlet letter that's just marked him from that time and so from that standpoint, I just don't know if he's ever going to, he'll never, I personally, I don't think Chandler, you'll ever see Timmy Chandler in a U.S. national team uniform again. As far as Brooks, though, I mean, I know, per, I know Brooks, we've had, I've interviewed Brooks this, uh, a year ago, and he, uh, not only does he obviously want to be part of the national team, like he wanted to take on a leadership role, he wanted to be captain, the Nations League, it looked like that, that's what he was doing, or he was heading in that direction, and now here we are, six months, eight months later, he's not even in the picture. So that's a little, it's crazy how that's all happened. But again, as I've said, he has to play well. If he plays well, then he has an argument. And then Greg Berhalter has, is going to have a tougher time justifying leaving him out of the picture. Now, for those of you who read SBI uh, and are subscribers, you will have seen uh, my recent piece uh, projecting the 23 players for the 2022 World Cup squad. And again, yes, I know the U.S. hasn't actually qualified yet, so... You know, it's it's not so much taking it for granted because you have to put the caveat out there, you know, based on what happened in 2018, no one needs to be reminded that, yes, it's not a guarantee until it's a guaranteed spot, until they've earned the automatic berth, and they haven't yet. However, doesn't mean we can't project the squad. It doesn't mean we can't look at the team and say, hey, what would the team look like if we qualify? If the U.S. qualifies, what does the team look like? So I, I do that once a month. And obviously, after the latest round of qualifiers, it was a good opportunity to do it again. I won't get into all the, the 23 picks. Definitely go to SBI Soccer and you can check out all the picks. But I will touch on some of the kind of key kind of uh, topics about about this particular selection. Obviously, goalkeeper, it's been the same three for a while now. Matt Turner, Zach Steffen. Sean Johnson. And it's going to be that three as long as Ethan Horvath is getting zero minutes at Nottingham Forest. And that, that move has not worked out for him. And uh, until, until and unless he can get into a starting lineup for Nottingham Forest, he, it, he's going to be on the outside looking in of the three that I mentioned. As far as defense goes, uh, I thought the most interesting aspect of the, the January-February squad in qualifying was the fact that Anthony Robinson was the only natural left back. And, and I feel like I touched on this last episode, but I'll say it again. It's a it's a it's an alarm. It's an alarm to the other left backs. The fact that he Bruce, uh, that uh, Greg Berhalter called in a squad where basically Serginho Dest was the de, fa- de facto other left back with Anthony Robinson. And what happens in that situation is it's basically if he ca- if Berhalter does that same thing for the World Cup squad, then you're talking having two other right backs and whether that's Reggie Cannon and DeAndre Yedlin or DeAndre Yedlin and Joe Scally or any a combination of those guys or even a Brooks Lennon the point is right now the right backs in the pool are ahead of the left backs so you're talking Sam Vines you're talking George Bellow as the two main the main candidates right now to be that second left back and when you think about it you have Dirk you have uh Sam Vines you have George Bellow 
Those are your two, the next left backs on the depth chart for the U.S. And the fact of the matter is they're behind a Reggie Cannon. They're behind a DeAndre Yedlin, just in terms of their experience, what they bring to the table. When you have a Serginio Desk that can play both positions, that's the situation you're going to be in. Now, for me, the wild card is Joe Scally because, again, he's a player who can play both sides. He's played both sides at a high level in the Bundesliga. However, he recently uh, had COVID and he fell out of the lineup. He hasn't made his way back into the lineup. And as long as that's the case, he's gonna. It's gonna be a little tough for him. So he's got a few weeks now. He's got a month to sit. You know, four or five weeks now between now and the next U.S. camp for the March qualifiers. And you have to ask yourself: Is Berhalter going to bring him in, especially if he's not playing consistently? If he's playing consistently, there's a conversation. But even then, if you're Greg Berhalter and you know how important these games are, are you going with a player who doesn't really have any uh, experience in qualifying? So that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one there. So. Scally might still have to wait even beyond uh, even beyond these qualifiers in March. And look, once that, if the U.S. takes care of business in March and if they qualify, then all of a sudden you can start looking at those players on the fringes who are trying to break their way in. And you've got six months basically between then and this, what would, could be, would be the start of camp for World Cup uh, to really try to impress and try to crack that group. And it's not going to be easy for Scally. And it's unfortunate that he's had this setback now. But he's someone, for me, I find him, honestly, to be more interesting than a Bello, uh, than a Vines. Um, Reggie Cannon, the thing with Cannon is he's so good defensively, right? So if you need someone to be kind of a lockdown right back, he can be that guy. Then you have DeAndre Yedlin, who has that World Cup experience. And are you really going to, if you qualify for Qatar, are you really going to Qatar with zero players with World Cup experience? Are are you really going to do that? I just don't see it. And... Since we don't feel, I personally don't feel like John Brooks is going to be on the squad, that leaves DeAndre Yedlin as the other alternative of someone with World Cup experience on the roster. And I think that gives him a real edge. Um, and I know some people might say, well, why should that matter? I think it matters. I think it matters to have someone who at least one, that's crazy that you're going to have only one player on the entire U.S. team with World Cup experience. And that's if John Brooks can't play his way back in. If he can play his way back in, then you're talking two players. And that helps. I think it helps. I absolutely think it helps. But the point is, back the, the long-winded way of saying, if you're if you're Sam Vines, if you're George Bello, you're on alert now because you understand that the right backs are also the guys you have to compete with. It's not just competing with the left backs. You now basically, indirectly, are competing with the right backs. Now, in terms of the midfield for the U.S. World Cup squad, projected World Cup squad, Luca Delator has put himself into the conversation. Obviously, he had, a, he had a, a good game, very good game against Honduras. Now, if you listen to the last episode, you know that I tried to put that into context and tried not to put too much weight on that performance or tried to put it into proper perspective, right? And I'm not trying to be the Delator hater. I'm just trying to be realistic about it. Now, what I will say is if he can continue to play at a high level in in the Netherlands, if he can start to score some goals and add some assists, yes, he absolutely can make the 23 for the World Cup. And he's got some guys to battle. He's got to battle Gianluca Busio. He's got to battle Sebastian Legette, potentially Christian Roldan, although Roldan seems to be in contention with the wingers. It's not a given. It's not a given that Del Tor is going to make this team. But he, for me, right now, I've given him the edge. I've put him ahead of Sebastian Legette. Although, Legette reuniting at Bruserina, Legette joining a very good New England team that could really capitalize on his skills, I think he could absolutely thrive in New England. And if he does, and if he plays at a very high level in New England where he is dropping dimes, he's scoring goals, doing everything we know he can do when he has his support around him, 
he absolutely will get that spot back from Luca Delator because as much as Delator, uh, Luca Delator has is a nice connector. He's a nice two way player. He can he can drive the ball forward. In terms of the creativity, in terms of the making things happen in the final third, scoring the goal, setting up the goal, Sebastian Legette has the advantage on him on that. And I know some. I know there's. I know there's that contingent of fans who can't stand Legette, can't stand any, almost none of the MLS players. I get that. I get there's there's that contingent. But we have to look at it from a practical standpoint of what these players can do within the group. And if you're asking yourself, you want someone to bring off the bench who can give you a spark in the attack. That's the kind of thing you're going to need in the World Cup. So for me, Legette gives you more than Delator in terms of a bench option. In terms of a guy to start for you, you could argue, yes, Delator can be a good fit against the better teams because he can be that connector in the midfield. I get that. I get the argument, absolutely. So that, for me, is, is going to be one to bear watching. I've put Delator on for now, but as I say, it changes month to month, and plenty can change between now and November. Now, striker, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's a crowded race, uh, but... There's no locks. I mean, Ricardo Pepe, you could say he's a lock, right? As much as he's, you know, he's at Augsburg, he's got to find his scoring touch at Augsburg. But he's, he figured he's one of the guys, right? So if you have two strikers, one is Pepe, then you have a field that includes Josh Sargent, who finally scored his first two Premier League goals, Jordan Pifak, who has been, who has regained his scoring touch now with young boys in Switzerland. You have Daryl DK, who's currently sidelined. You have Giassi's artist, who we know Greg Berhalter is a fan of, even though he didn't necessarily show much in the last window, in the last qualifiers. And for me, I think he should be behind these guys that we mentioned. You have Matthew Hoppy, who's on the bench at Mallorca, who's not getting many games, but he's still a talent. And who knows what he can do in the next six months. So you've got quite a few options. And now you have Jesus Ferreira, who Berhalter has thrown into the conversation as a potential false nine option. So it's a crowded field and no one's taking charge. You can say PFOX kind of, you know, scoring goals and making his case. I get it. But look, the Swiss, Swiss League is not the highest of levels. Let's be clear on that. It's not. And you can say what you want about MLS, but the Swiss League is not. I mean, I, I, if you're asking compared to the two, Young Boys plays has played. They played in Champions League, so they had. There's that advantage to that. But you know what? I just PFOC. I think if you're asking me, even now, do I go Josh Sargent? Do I go PFOC? I'm going Josh Sargent because I just think I think he just gives you more. He gives you more. He's a better. He's better at combining. He definitely is better with the defensive work rate. Finishing, obviously, you want to see Josh Sargent find his finishing boots because they've been missing for a while. That one game aside, we know Josh Sargent has struggled at Norwich. So we'll see if he can continue uh, to build off of that two-goal game. I know he was sick recently, but he I think for me, just the ability and the versatility that he has, I give him the edge over Jordan Pifak. But again, there's six months to go before the World Cup. The team still has to qualify. And let's see what happens in March. Let's see who gets the call in March. Because I don't know. I don't see Ferreira getting the call. I think it's going to be either Sargent, if he's still starting at Norwich, if he's starting to find some goals and assists. I think it'll be Sargent. And if it's not, I think Pifak could get a call back if he continues to score goals like we've seen him score in the last few weeks. Now it's time to talk some MLS. And I know I've been putting MLS off for a while now in, in terms of just getting really into depth uh, in MLS. And and with the next few weeks, I can tell you right now that the, there's going to be quite a bit of time devoted to MLS and previewing the upcoming season. I will have a few episodes dedicated specifically to previewing the season and previewing all 28 teams. Not 30, not 50, not 100, not yet anyway. 28 teams. And we will try to get give you some insight into all 28 teams not only on the SBI show, but also on SBISoccer.com. 
as you know, every year we try to provide uh, some in-depth coverage, uh, previewing the upcoming seasons, and we're at we're at it again right now. We're working hard uh, on that. Uh, if we had a little bit less content than normal this week, part of that's also yes, we're working on the preview stuff that we'll be rolling out in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. In terms of MLS, some big news: Atlanta United signing uh, a record-setting designated player. I know that's not exactly the first time they've done that, uh, but Tiago Almada. $16 million signing uh, for Atlanta United. And obviously with Miguel Almiron left, uh, leaving a couple of years ago, he was never really replaced. Ezequiel Barco, a bit hit and missed. At times he showed the flashes, at times not so much. Uh, Pitti Martinez didn't really quite pan out. But hopefully Atlanta's hoping that Tiago Almada, $16 million signing. Uh, and all you hear is rave reviews about him in South America as one of the better prospects in South America. And it's a big win for MLS to, to have an MLS team land a player of his quality and of, you know, in terms of as someone who a lot of teams in Europe had their eye on. So for him to pick Atlanta United and see Atlanta United as a potential springboard to Europe, that's huge. So Atlanta United, you, you give them some props for that. That's obviously a big move for them. Uh, another move this week that we saw, Caden Clark is heading back to the New York Red Bulls. Uh, he's joining on loan for from RB Leipzig. And just to catch you up in case you, you kind of lost track of everything, Caden Clark was on the Red Bulls, New York Red Bulls. And then he was sold last spring to RB Leipzig. And... At the time, his stock was soaring. He was scoring goals. He was, you know, we saw the flashes of a potential national team player, right? And RB Leipzig obviously wanted to get ahead of things, sign him, and then set him up to bring him to Europe, right? Now, unfortunately for Clark, he didn't have the best year after that. You know, he, he had some setbacks. He was on the bench for a while. He showed some flashes toward the end, but he never regained that level that we saw early on. And Obviously, Leipzig was paying attention and Leipzig decided when he went, when it was time for him to join Leipzig, they realized, you know what? He's probably not ready for us or he's probably not someone that's going to contribute for us. Why don't we send him back to the Red Bulls? Now, unfortunately for the Red Bulls, things aren't quite that simple in MLS. It wasn't, it's never, it was never going to be as simple as, okay, he can just come back to the Red Bulls. And that's because the Red Bulls secured a transfer from Leipzig for Clark. And once they did that, he's no longer their player. He is a player that goes into the MLS allocation list, and the Red Bulls were always going to have to go through the process of the allocation order to even get him back on loan. And that's what they did. They had to make trades to, to stack up uh, more than 600000 in allocation money to make the trades to move up to the top spot in the allocation order just to add him on loan. And, that, and for me, I got to tell you, that's a, it was a... It wasn't a great sequence of events for the Red Bulls or for RB Leipzig or for Red Bull Global. The fact that they buy him and obviously things change, right? Obviously that, you know, whatever their plans were when they first bought him didn't pan out and aren't the new plans. And obviously they would have done a few things differently if they could have data crystal ball and they could have seen what would happen over the next nine months after this, the, uh, the official transfer sale. Yeah, maybe things would have been handled a little differently. But I do not want to hear anybody sit there and try to say, well, look, Caden Clark, you're only, you know, as good as he is, you don't care about paying however much you have in allocation. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is the Red Bulls just haven't added much this offseason. They added Lewis Morgan from, from Miami. You give them credit for that. They, they've made some pickups here and there. But in terms of the big splash, uh, t- you know, eight-figure type signing we haven't seen even a seven-figure signing, like really transfer in terms of from the international market. We haven't really seen it, right? So you're not going to get credit for bringing a player back that was already on your team last year in terms of saying, okay, this team is going to be better now. We still haven't seen that. We haven't seen enough from the Red Bulls to tell any of us that they're going to be better in 2022. 
So the fact that they had to use so many of their resources just to get a player back that they just had. That's why I think some people who look at it practically understand it for what it is. Now, I know some people are going to look at it positively and say, oh, look, he's back. They have Caden Clark back. He's great. It's great for the league to have Caden Clark back. I get that. I get that. But in terms of the team and in terms of the team being more competitive, I just right now, the team that as we stay where the Red Bulls are, as we stand right now with two weeks to go before the season, is it two weeks about two weeks to go before the season? Does anyone honestly feel confidently that this Red Bulls team is better now than they were at the end of the of the 2021 season? No, the answer is no, not even close. So there's a lot of work to be done. So that's why, honestly, I'm not surprised that some people aren't jumping for joy about the Caden Clark thing because there's still so much to do and they've had to give away a mountain of allocation money. So unfortunately, not great for them. It is good for Red Bulls fans that Clark will be back for another year. And I think it's good for Clark because I think think he needs some more seasoning. I think another year in MLS will do him well, a lot better than going to Leipzig, sitting on the bench and being stuck and not getting playing time because you don't want that either and another mls player another player who began their career in mls uh, and went to europe but could come back to mls is chris durkin and as you know as, as sbi show listeners know we had durkin on recently and he's he told us that he's open to mls and that he and you know he's seen the growth of the league and he would be interested in a return in the right situation with the right team and my understanding is that could very well happen. Um, he is, again, he's a player on the MLS allocation list. So a team that would want to sign him would have to go through the allocation order. And right now, FC Cincinnati has the top spot. And my understanding is that they are not interested in signing Chris Durkin. I, I think there was some initial interest, but they're looking at other options. MLS Soccer's website uh, has reported Carlos Guraiso, the former FC Dallas defensive midfielder, is someone that Cincinnati's looking at. Uh, I remember hearing a while back that Riazzo Lake was looking at Carlos Guraiso. So we'll see what happens there. But I got gotta believe there's got to be a team in MLS or a couple of teams in MLS that could use a Chris Durkin that would be interested in him and could make the moves necessary to add him. And the Red Bulls actually happen to be one of those teams, although I don't know how much they have left to make another move up after what they had to pay to get Caden Clark. So maybe not them, maybe NYCFC. Perfect example, James Sands. He's someone that's moved on now. He's uh, he's joined Rangers in, in Scotland on loan. And if you're NYCFC, you could do worse than Chris Durkin as another young, versatile defensive midfielder who can play center back, who can play fullback if you needed to. So I think he'd be a good fit there. Real Salt Lake, as I mentioned, is you know looking for some defensive midfield depth. He could be an option there as well. Uh, and I added some other teams as well. In a, I wrote a piece for SBI for subscribers. So if you're if you're not a subscriber, make sure to subscribe to sbisoccer.com. Uh, I touch on that a little bit more, but I have a feeling. We're going to see Chris Durkin back in MLS. Now, the last couple of things, Josie Altidore has officially said goodbye to Toronto FC. And there's no word yet on his rep- long reported move to New England. It hasn't been made official yet, at least as of the, me recording this on Friday afternoon. But let's face it, all signs are pointing to him reuniting with Bruce Arena and joining the New England Revolution. And I have to think if you're look, if you're a Toronto FC fan, you have to be pretty grateful uh, for what Josie Altidore was able to do for you. Obviously, he's had his injury issues, but look, he he helped deliver an MLS Cup to Toronto. He helped deliver some trophies to Toronto. And when he was healthy, he did the thing. He did the damn thing. And above all, I I always felt like he embraced Toronto. He embraced living in Toronto, being a citizen of Toronto and kind of appreciating the love up there, especially toward the end of his time with the U.S. national team when U.S. national team fans just 
you know, this, grew to hate him for whatever reason. Him and Michael Bradley, they just kind of became persona non grata for U.S. men's national team fans. And Josie Altidore always, always shouted out Toronto. He always showed love to Toronto. So I think Toronto fans in general are going to have a positive uh, memory of Josie Altidore's time in Toronto. And we'll see what happens in New England. We'll see what happens with Rusarina reuniting with Altidore, how Altidore holds up on the turf in New England, obviously, with his injury issues. You wonder how that's going to go. Interesting to note that he began his career playing on turf, if I recall correctly, back with uh, the, the the Red Bulls in the, in the old Giants stadium, going, back, going way back. Uh, back before he went to Villarreal, when he was teaming up, when he was in the strike partnership with Juan Pablo Angel. I still remember that. I still remember those early, early Josie Altador days when uh, he learned quite a bit from the Colombian striker, Juan Pablo Angel. One of the better, more underrated designated player signings to pass through MLS. And uh, we'll see what Josie Altador can do at New England. I think he's going to do some good things. He just has to stay healthy. That's the big one. Can he stay healthy to play enough games to give this team goal, give New England the goals they need to win an MLS Cup? And uh, I think they can absolutely do that. We still need to see what they're going to do with their goalkeeper situation with Matt Turner leaving. But adding Josie Altidore, Bruce Arena, I think, is the co- is the exact kind of coach that will help bring Altidore back to close to his best. Now, last but not least, we will discuss Charlotte FC, uh, the new expansion MLS team. They start play in a couple of weeks uh, in their first season. And uh, I have a feeling some Charlotte FC fans are in in for a bit of a rude awakening. And I think their head coach helped help that along with uh, with some surprising comments. Uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez, the Charlotte FC coach, was uh, interviewed recently. He did a scrum with media down in Charlotte. And he, he, you know, speaking in Spanish, and he was pretty blunt in his assessment of the situation that Charlotte is in right now. And the fact remains, they they still have a way to go in building their roster. They're not even close to being having their squad fully put together, right? So with the season just two weeks away, you're an expansion team and you're still kind of an incomplete group, you're in trouble. You're going to have some real issues in the beginning of your first season. And we've seen this before. We've seen expansion teams struggle. This isn't a new, although we have seen some expansion teams come flying out of the gate, like LAFC, like LN United. We've seen that. Charlotte's not going to be one of these teams, and their own manager is aware of this because he was quoted in this scrum. Well, he actually said it. I heard it. In the scrum, he pretty much says, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but for now, we're screwed in Spanish. In this, estamos jodido. Like, jodido means screwed. So, uh, in no uncertain terms. So, I, I got to be honest, I was a little surprised at the choice of words. If only because it was bluntly honest and refreshing in a way for me. Maybe not refreshing for a Charlotte FC fan. If you happen to be one of the Charlotte FC fans who was in a bit of denial about how good your team could be in year one. This team's not going to be good. They're just not. It's gonna. There's going to be growing pains. They're going to get beat up. Uh, and it's just a matter of, of, of building and, and, and getting through that. That's just the growing pains, especially when you don't build a team early on. If you don't have your ducks in a row early on, you're going to struggle. And... You know, it's it was funny. It was funny. What he said was funny. But the fact is, it's true. They are in for a rough, a rough time, rough year. And the, and I, I feel like I've said this before, but it was it's always it was always going to be a challenge for a team, an expansion team to start out with a foreign head coach and a foreign general manager slash sporting director. And this isn't to say that a foreign coach can't succeed because we've seen that. Uh, we've seen that more recently now that that kind of uh, stigma finally bro- broken, uh, you know, where more recently Ronnie Dyla, Ronnie Dyla won an MLS Cup, came from Europe, had no ties to MLS. He came and he did that. 
However, uh, in terms of a team having both a foreign head coach and a foreign general manager stepping into these new roles in a new league, we have not seen that succeed. Now, we've seen foreign sporting directors succeed. We've seen Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia do his thing. Great job he's done in Philly. But we have not seen both roles held by people by foreign uh, people in, new to the league. And I think that's going to be an issue with Charlotte. I really do. I really think that's going to be an issue with Charlotte. I think they're going to struggle because of it. And it seems already they're off to a slow start. So, uh, Charlotte fans, listen, you're still in the league. Be happy about that. Be happy that you can start building something. Obviously, it feels like the fan base down there is is really embracing the team. But it's going to get just Brace yourselves for a bit of a rough go in year one. That's all I can tell you, but hopefully it gets better. And look, there's been plenty of teams that we've seen that started off rough, and but then eventually they figure it out. Eventually they have success, have more success. I mean, Minnesota United had some awful early years. Toronto FC had some awful early years. So we've seen it. We've seen turnaround. So look, look forward to that, Charlotte fans. That's all I can tell you. But uh, I think that wraps it up. I think we touched on everything that I wanted to get to this episode. As I said earlier, with the MLS season fast approaching, I will start to shift towards MLS preview material in the coming weeks. We'll obviously talk Americans abroad. We'll obviously talk men's national team and women's national team. She believes cup around the corner. We'll get into that as well. But that's all for this episode of the SBI show. Thank you for listening. And as always, make sure you subscribe to SBISoccer.com if you haven't already. Thank you to all of you who have already subscribed. Uh, then continue to support the site because obviously that helps the site. And obviously that helps the SBI show. Uh, which, again, the SBI show is open to everybody. It's not part of the subscription, uh, but obviously the better that the site does, the more support, the more following we have on the site, the more it allows us to do more things, including more episodes of the show. And I'm hoping to continue to do that. I'm hoping to ramp things back up to get back to at least two episodes a week. Uh, Maybe a couple more with the MLS season come uh, fast approaching and with so much to get into when you talk about 28 teams i mean i don't think people understand how big mls is now i mean i it was the league was 10 teams when i started covering mls 10 teams now it's 28 so it's a little crazy but there's more to talk about more to get into and we will do that in the coming weeks but that's all for now i'm ivis galarset this is the sbi show <laughs>